to celebrate the role of fathers in the lives of their kids. And uh, David, you can throw up that, that next picture, but, but between Homer Simpson and Phil Dumphy and some other, some other characters that we see in the, in, on TV and the media, we depict dads often to be bumbling, to be neglectful, to be, to be self-centered, and that, that's really never the way that it was intended to be. God was introduced to the Jews as, as their father, as their daddy. The word is Abba. It can, be, it can connotate daddy, father. But back when they were being established as a nation, we, tre- we go right back to one of the beginning books of the Bible in Deuteronomy. The, God was being introduced to them, and he was called daddy. He was called father. He was the protector. He was their provider. He was their disciplinarian. He was, he was father. Now, what words would you write down? If I asked you to describe your father, if you just were going to take a pen and paper and just write down, how would you describe your dad? Would you say kind? Would you say he was gentle? Would you say he was angry? Would you, would you say he was devoted? Would you say harsh? Would you say distant? Would you say invested? Would you say ab? What kind of words would you write down if you were just going to describe your father? Many of you have probably done this on a Father's Day card in the last number of days. But each of us, is more than we would probably like to admit at times. We are shaped by the experiences that we have with our dads. Now, here's some stats that just kind of shape things, blow your mind. 90% of runaway children, this is, this is in America, come from homes without dads. 90% of the kids that will run away will come from a home without a dad. A, home, a, a child raised in a home without a father is twice as likely to drop out of school and is 5% more likely to commit suicide. Girls with fathers in their homes, get this number, are 711% more likely or more or less likely to become sexually active or have teen pregnancy. And children with fathers present and involved are 40% less likely to, rep- to repeat a grade and they're much more likely to receive an A in school. Dads have an enormous effect on the lives of their families, both positive and negative. And for Father's Day, what we wanted to do is we wanted to go to the Bible and look at a story of a dad who inspired his son to great things. We want to see the effect that it had on, on him. And as, and as you listen in, some of you, you're not fathers, and you're like, eh, checking out, I'm going to go grab some coffee now. You're thinking, I'm not a dad, this isn't for me. You know, and I know, that we have all had people who have been significant, impactful people in your life, and they may not have been your biological father, but they are somebody that impacted you, people that fathered you. Definitely in my life, I can think of my dad fathered me, my father-in-law, even when I was, when I was growing up, he, my father-in-law-to-be was mentoring me, my youth leader, the people that invested into me when I was a teenager, definitely impacted my life as a father. My, 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 my pastor, Pastor Doug, mentors me. All these people had father figure roles in my life and definitely had an impact on who I was. I'm not going to say which way I would support in the U.S. presidential candidates uh, in the U.S. presidential election right now between our candidates, but we know that Hillary Clinton, a few, number of years ago, wrote a book, and I don't know if you ever read this book. It's called It Takes a Village, and it emphasized the importance of community supports that are required for healthy childhood and healthy child development. They, they're saying there are so many adults that are required in a child's life as they develop if they want to develop in a healthy way, and this is why we do church the way that we do. We need, we need to expose our kids to other healthy adult relationships because there are times 
when our kids don't want to speak to us about something as parents. That's why she has youth leaders. That's why she has kids leaders. That's why she has trusted adults in different relationships that way. And she has friendships. And this morning, what we want to explore is what impact am I leaving on the generation that is going to follow me? And we're going to look at King David. We're going to look at the story that happened just after he defeated Goliath. Goliath was a man who was 10 feet tall, almost twice the size of David. He was threatening to enslave all of Israel. He was taking on their entire army. And then we see David come into the picture here. And we're going to see some principles from this point of David's life and look uh, beyond that too. And we're going to get into his father and son relationship. But we're going to go to the book of Samuel, chapter 17. And if you don't have a Bible and you want to borrow, the copy of, borrow a copy of the Bible, simply slip up your hand. One of our ushers will make sure you get a copy to borrow. We have a few at the back there. They'll follow along. You can also follow along in your notes, in your bulletin, or on your app. And uh, some of the scriptures will be on the screen beside it. But we do like people to be able to open their Bible because we know that it's not something we normally regularly have time for in many courses of our days. And we want to emphasize when we get together on a Sunday morning, hey, let's open our Bible. Let's take some time and read it. Let's get comfortable doing that. So 1 Samuel 17 in the Old Testament, kind of in the first third of the Bible. And we're going to go to verses 55 through 58. And here's what it says about uh, David. As Saul, Saul's the king, Watch David going out to meet the Philistine. This is Goliath. So the king's watching David go out to meet this giant. He said to Abner, who's the commander of the army, Abner, catch these words, whose son is that young man? Now it's an interesting question to ask since David was the one going out to fight and David was the one who was going to represent the, all of the Israeli army. He should have been asking, who's that guy? But instead he's asking, whose son is that? And Abner replied, and we keep reading here, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. (laughs) So the king said, find out whose son this young man is. And as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with David still holding the Philistine's head. Wonderful picture. And then again, Saul asks him, whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him, and then David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, of Bethlehem. So the man that David had become and was becoming was surely influenced and so inspired by the life of his father. And Saul is astute enough to see that. And what we want to do this morning is look at the legacy that Jesse, the father of David, left for his son. And then we see it lived out in the life of David. And we're going to look at four points of what an individual who wants to leave a legacy like Jesse strives for. We're going to call it Legacy Dad. So number one, if you're filling in blanks or you're uh, typing in notes in your app or in your phone or your tablet, is that Legacy Dads inspire, or Legacy Fathers inspire, a good work ethic. I was at, I was at Starbucks the other day, and I was waiting for somebody who I was going to I know, shocking for, to believe that, but I was at Starbucks. I was indeed having coffee, I know, out there. But uh, we, there was... There was two girls behind me, and it was all I could do not to turn around and look at, at, at who these two girls were, but they were, they were discussing, one of them had a new job, and the one of them was mortified at the audacity that the manager had that was requiring her not only to buy new shoes for this job, black flats, which I know I buy shoes for like $10 at Walmart. She needed to buy black flats, and she had to have jewelry on. Now, she was just recently employed at a, at a, at a, at a jewelry store, <laughs> but she was shocked out of her mind that every day she had to wear the black shoes and jewelry because that was going to cost her 
to go to work. And she said, I'm not going to invest in my new job. I'm getting there to make money, not to spend money. And she was mortified that it was go- she was going to have to do something to work. And I'm just saying, oh, my goodness. Like, I, I didn't want to hold my head in my hand. I didn't want to turn around and stare who it was. But sometimes watching students enter the workforce for the first time can be painful. Because to get jobs, some of us have spent forty to $50,000 in education. We may have volunteered 30 to 40 hours a week to earn respect, to gain experience. We've moved cities. We've had police checks run against us. We've changed physical appearance. But this young lady did not want to invest $25 into a necklace and black flats to work there. And she thought, she thought that was over the top. They can't really ask me to do that. <laughs> work ethic is not something that should ever be assumed in anyone. 74% of business decision makers, so those are like those who hire, those who manage, they feel that this generation, the millennial generation that just entered the workforce, lacks the work ethic that even Gen X had, which is shocking. And, then, and 55% feel that it's hard to retain millennials in their jobs. These stats come from Ford magazine. I want to offer a little perspective as I was doing some research to get ready for Sunday morning. This was a document that was found in an old English factory that was operating during the 1800s. It was condemned. It was going to be blown up. And they found an employee memorandum that was issued to every employee at this factory back in the 1800s. So there's five highlights that I pulled out of it. The first one is this. The firm has reduced the hours of work And the clerical staff will now only have to be present, only, from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. on weekdays. (laughs) Isn't that that wonderful? You're only going to have to work 11 hours a day. This is a a big cut that they would have. Number two, no member of the clerical staff may leave the room without permission from the supervisor. So you're at your desk 11 hours unless you get permission. Number three, this one obviously makes sense. No talking is allowed during, during business hours. Number four... Now that the hours of business have been drastically reduced, the partaking of food <laughs> is allowed between 11.30 and noon, but work will n- not on any account cease. <laughs> so you can, you can eat, but you can't stop working. The fifth one, the cler- members of the clerical staff will provide their own pens, a new sharpener. Remember, they used to have to dip in ink, so a new sharpener is available on application to the supervisor. So they'll help you with your pen that you've brought if you apply to the supervisor. And this one's wonderful. It ended with this little caveat. The owners recognize the generosity of the new labor laws, but will expect a great rise in the output of work to compensate for these near utopian conditions. (laughs) (laughs) All the supervisors and bosses in the room going, yes, we're only working 11 hours and no, yeah. Perspective is everything, isn't it? That was what was expected of work 200 years ago. Now we're talking, I don't want to invest $20 into my own appearance. Can we look at the kind of worker that David was? David was the youngest of all of his brothers, and they all used to tend the father, Jesse's family farm. But then the older brothers were drafted to go into the Israeli army and to fight Goliath and the Philistines, because there was going to be a national war going on. So the work that four boys used to do in Jesse's home was now left to one boy. Parents in the room, let me ask you, if you, you, do you have chores that your kids have to do, right? Like chores that are set out kids have to do. What happens if there are three kids doing chores and you look at one of them and go, great news. <laughs> the other two are not going to do chores anymore. It's all on you. How would that go <laughs> when you have that discussion? Not going to go very well, right? I want you to look at 1 Samuel 17, 14, and 15. If you just go back a few verses, David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul off to, our, to war, right? But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. 
not only did David do the work that all of his brothers used to do, but then he went to check in on his brothers. So when David goes and he's trying to make his case to the king to say, I'm going to take on Goliath, mano a mano, one-on-one, on behalf of the whole army, he describes this kind of dedication that he's had as a shepherd. We see it in verses 34 and 35 when we bump ahead. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And he, now he's at the war, but he's been doing both. Then when a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. This is to protect the sheep that David is taking on this. Now, I have a dog. I love my dog. You got a picture of my dog? There's Carlo. He's <laughs> I love my dog. But if a lion... wandered into my house and took that little guy in his now look at that face that's a good face right how many of you would take on a lion for that face anybody yeah out of boy in here (laughs) some of you would if a lion walked into my backyard picks that dog up hoping i may be off to the pound to pick up a new puppy (laughs) now oh now don't judge me there are very few lions in this area of the world so i think we're okay (laughs) What kind of legacy are you leaving for the people that watch the way that you work, watch the kind of dedication that you have, whether it be your kids, whether it be the people that are younger than you in work, whether it be people around you? What kind of legacy are you leaving, your attitude towards work, the hours you put in, the effort that you exert? Listen, it's easy for us to complain about our bosses and and talk about the ways that I'm going to just cheat a little bit to get off this at work. That's not the legacy that the Bible tells us we want to be leaving. Colossians 3 and 23 says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not human masters. And a legacy dad, a legacy father, someone who wants to leave what's best behind for the next generation, says, I need to inspire a hard work ethic by the way that I work, by the way that I model for the people who are watching me. Well, not only that, we see more in David's life there was the hard work ethic, but also inspired honor for family. On weekends like this, we often get together with other family members. Some of them we love, some we tolerate. Some we won't be getting together with them because we're not even inviting them. And David appeared to be on the side of where his father asked. He responded with, yes. Look at verse 20. We're in, still in chapter 17 here. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of the shepherd, and he loaded up and set out just as Jesse has directed. So not only is he doing the work of four boys, but then when his dad says, go check on your brothers, go to the front lines of of where the war is going on, David says, I'm off, here I go. Could you imagine what it would be if every time you asked your kids something, they just said, sure, dad. (laughs) Wouldn't that be some kind of magical dream world where where that, that happened? But should we first ask ourselves, if sometimes we see that in our kids, Maybe she would be asking ourselves, what example have I laid down by the way that I honor my parents? Now, it's not as cut and dried as if I honor my parents and my kids will honor me, and if I speak politely and treat my parents with the best and most highest honor, then my kids will follow suit. But we started off this discussion this morning recognizing that we have mass impact on the lives of those who are watching us. And David knew the importance of honoring family. Do you, know, do you know that honor your father and your mother? It's one of the Ten Commandments. And Paul points out to us, it's one of the only 
it's the only commandment that actually has a promise that's attached to it. He, Paul talked about this in Ephesians 6, 2, and 3. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. And it's so easy for us to go the other way and maybe not speak the way we want. Because our families drive us crazy sometimes. Our parents may, may be acting in a way that we think, ah, that's not what I would do. I'd have no idea what you're thinking. But all of a sudden we see that it, it doesn't say while you're young. It says honor your father and your mother so that you may enjoy a long life on earth. We also know this. If for no other reason, you need to honor your family because for one day our kids are going to be choosing our retirement homes. And if we haven't honored our parents well, then that's coming back on us, right? The, the next generation needs to see us honoring our parents. It's the legacy that we're called to leave. We're going to be a legacy father. And it's not just honor for family, but it's also respect and honor and respect for governing authorities. That's your third fill in the blank there. Are there any Justin Trudeau fans? In, wait a minute, I, I won't get you to put up your hand. I won't, I won't ask you to do political lines in the room. But if there's, are there any Justin Trudeau fans in the room here? I, I saw a report of our struggling economy the other day, and Mr. Trudeau is, is he's not really worried because he has a plan to double some of Canada's most valuable exports, and that, that's the way he's going to get our economy back on track. So it sounds like Justin Bieber's going to be doing two shows a night in lots of different places where he goes. <laughs> most valuable reason you got. <laughs> Listen, it's much easier to bang on our government than it is to show respect and support and honor, but they're the authority. And you know, God said he's going to set up every authority the way that he wants it to be. Not that every authority figure that's put in there is God honoring and is chosen by God, but listen to this, Romans 13 and 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established, allowed to be there. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now let's look at David in this. We know that David honored his family, but David had come to the front lines of the army. He had risked his own life for Saul. Saul was supposed to be this great warrior, and Saul wasn't going to attack Goliath. So David has to come in as a teenager and risk his own life to rescue Saul. And then, shockingly, the country was proud that David had done that, and the, and the country was excited, and the country began to, uh, to praise David, and, and Saul becomes jealous because everyone now likes David instead of Saul. So then Saul has his, in, in, in a rage of jealous anger, he chases David out of his own house, and he goes to try and kill David. And then twice, David is given the opportunity to take down Saul. Once Saul was asleep, and he could have snuck up on him. Once he was in, in a cave using, using the bathroom, and, and David had every opportunity to go in and kill Saul. But in 1 Samuel 24 and 26, it's in your notes. We're not going to put it on the screen. Here's what David said, though. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the one who was trying to kill him, the one whom David had, had rescued, who's now turned his back on him. David said, I'm not turning my back on him because he had a respect for a governing authority that God had placed there. And if our kids were to judge the quality of leadership in our city or judge the quality of leadership in our country or judge the quality of leadership in our, in our church, if they were to judge solely based on how we talk and how we act, what would our kids think? What would the next generation think if they were just watching the way that we respected our authority figures and we honored our family? 
It's a sobering thought, isn't it? It's something to consider. How, how do I speak? How do I act? It's Father's Day. What am, I, what am I doing? Because our kids are watching. The next generation is watching how we're acting. And legacy dads inspire honor for family and respect for authority. Okay, the last one here. Legacy fathers inspire a heart for God. And in a moment of battle, David between Goliath, he's marching out onto the field to take on a 10-foot-tall warrior, and he's this teenager. David has confidence for no other reason that he knew he could trust God. Here's what we see in verse 45, that same chapter, 17. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Where does a teenager get that kind of confidence in God that he would risk his own life? Where would a teenager pick that up? From a father that taught him that God is faithful. From a father that honored the prophet who came once and said, that, well, I'm going to raise up somebody from you, and, and, the, and they, and they worship the prophet, and they worship God, and they honored God as the leader. Where would a teenager in our society pick up that kind of faith? From moms, from dads, from leaders who prove that regardless of the challenge that lies ahead, we face it with God's help. There's nothing that we can't do with God's help. Regardless of where we sit this morning, what challenge we face, it could be work, could be health, could be relationship. We face a challenge. What kind of legacy are we leaving for those who are watching? Acts 13 and 22, it's in your notes, describes David as a man who was after God's heart, doing everything that God wanted. That's the legacy I want to leave in my wake. Jesse lived a life that was so inspired that his son would work hard, would honor his family, would honor his country and love God. Wouldn't that be an amazing Father's Day? Dad's in the room. Wouldn't it be amazing Father's Day if you knew that today your kid's watching you they would work hard, they would love their family, they would love, they would respect their authorities and they would love God. There'd be nothing more, right? For any of us here, if we knew that the next generation would take that on, wouldn't that be an amazing gift? And as Heather mentioned earlier, some of us sit here in church on Father's Day and we struggle for a few reasons. Maybe there isn't much that your father passed on to you that you want to pass on to your own kids and you struggle with that. Maybe you don't even really know your dad. So he passed on maybe abandonment to you. Maybe you're somebody that sits in this room today and, and you, in an honest moment of reflection, you say, I've passed on some things that I really don't want to be passing on. So there's, there's no easy answer to this. How do we get there? But Heather's going to sing us a song and it's um, it was written, by, written by Kelly Clarkson. And it's called Piece by Piece. And it's the struggle of a girl who was hurt by her father and was given some of these things, was given a legacy where she thought, you know, I can be left, I can be hurt, I can be abandoned, I, can, I don't have faith in that. And then all of a sudden, one individual steps into her life and begins to restore faith because one individual decided, I'm going to stand and live a different kind of life than what had been left for her as an example. And I want you to listen to the words of this song 
And they're going to come back and give us a moment to reflect on what we could do, on how we could begin to leave a legacy that maybe others have not left for us. Such powerful words in that song that she's able to find hope by, because one person just says, I'm going to love somebody differently. I'm going to stay. So the message to us in the room is this. Errors are okay. Mess-ups are okay. We're, we know we're, we're imperfect. But we need to show those in our lives that are looking to us that we are not Homer Simpsons. <laughs> we may bumble, we may stumble, but we're not the sum total of our shortcomings thus far. We're ready to become Jesse's. We're ready to look at those that look to us and say, can I show you what honor looks like? Can I show you what respect looks like? Can I show you what ethics look like? Most importantly, can I show you what faith looks like? And you don't have to be a dad to live this life, like I mentioned this morning. For Kelly, it was a spouse. She found a partner that she never thought could be that way because her experience had to be different. And as a spouse, somebody was able to stay, is able to stay there and say, no, life can be different. Some of you today, we need to commit. I'm going to be the spouse that proves that things are different. For some of us, listen, we, we have a group of 10 or 11 young people right now that are just meeting in our, in our church and just the formations of a youth ministry. And they're just encountering the world for the first time, new freedoms, new experiences, going through the process of aging and becoming adults. This is a group, an amazing group of young people that are serving into the church, that are taking on life. They need people that say, I'm going to show you what it means to honor God while you're a teenager. I'm going to talk to you about what it means to study the word. I'm going to talk to you what it means to honor your family and honor the adults around you. We need people that say, I will sacrifice my time, my energy, because these kids are that important to me. We need people who are saying, I'm going to pass on a legacy to their kids and to the next generation. We need people that will commit to become legacy givers. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you that you don't hold anything against us. When, when we come to you and say, Lord, we've messed up, we've fallen short, you forgive, so I thank you for that this morning. And God, I stand on behalf of, of our whole group listening and our whole church saying, we have not always left the legacy for those watching us that we would prefer to. So Father, forgive us for our shortcomings, for our failing, for the time when we're upset with our kids, for the time that we've spoken poorly of someone in our family, for the time where we've left the bad model. And in the name of Jesus, I pray that we walk out of here with a renewed resilience to say, I, I can do it, I will do it. God, I will honor, I will respect, I will, I will have the ethic, I will model faith. And Lord, I pray, pray for my for my daughter. God, I pray for our kids here. I pray for the generation that watches us lead and, and work and live. God, help us to leave what we can, to leave what we should for those following us. God, we pray that the things that would mark our lives would mark their lives. Holy Spirit, you do what we, what we can't force. Would you do what only you can do and show, show them the examples in our lives of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, Lord, and faithfulness. God, we thank you 
so much for the time that we've been able to reflect on this story. Thank you for David. Thank you for Jesse and the example that they left for us as well, Lord. God, as we go, wherever we go today, be it with family, be it with friends, just alone, Lord, help us to honor you in every way and everything that we do. Thank you so much. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.